Welcome to Made in Mari, the podcast that focuses on the successes and struggles of local businesses. Let's get started. My name's G, I'm your host, and today I have the pleasure of time with David Robertson. He is a businessman, entrepreneur, and consultant. His professional skills in retail, sales, team building, and management make him a leader in his field, and these abilities he uses to turn around businesses facing hard times. Good afternoon, David. Good afternoon, G. How are you today? I am very, very well today, even though we're having four seasons in one day. <laughs> I know, it's been everything. Sun, snow, yep. rain, you name it. It's definitely been, it's been four seasons in one day. It's a good way to put it. Yeah, it, it's, it's a bit wild around here. Right, in my introduction, did I miss anything out? Is there anything else you'd like to Not tell fine. people? Great, it's great. No, it's perfect. Okay. I know also that you have a chain of specialist card and gift and jewel, jewelry, I can't say it, jewelry, yeah, retail, sure. uh, retailers that also incorporate the newsagent and coffee shops. Is that correct? Yep. yep, that's correct. started very much from the newsagents. My parents bought a newsagents business that had been in existence uh, since the late 1800s, actually. It had been there, J.P. Posey newsagents had been there as J.P. Posey booksellers and they had been a supplier to the county for school books. I had been very much focused on that. And then as time went on, newspapers were introduced, and it was a, a hub of the community for many years. And the building's been in existence, as I say, for about 115 years now, and we are the fourth custodians of the building. Originally, it was owned by Eden's Bookshop, then by the J.P. Posey family, and then it was owned by... Uh, a chap called George Cowie, and then my parents bought it 33 years ago when it was very much just the original small newsagents business and was selling newspapers, combs, bootlaces, cards and uh, shoeboxes, and a few uh, pocket money toys. Uh -huh, wow. Do you know why your parents bought it? Why did your parents invest in that kind of business? My father had been working for somebody for uh, over 30 years, a local lemonade factory, a uh, guy called William Cruikshank. And uh, my father was both his employee and his friend. And he had watched William and William's father build up that business to a very, very successful business operating right through from the north of England right up to the up through Scotland and they were very strategic in terms of they bought properties well they bought distribution centers well for the lemonade business they then changed the distribute the gas business and my father had constantly been involved with hotels pubs bars nightclubs working with William and he'd seen other guys make a success of building their own business my father had lost his father at the age of nine, so he was not in a position to go on to university and things, and he was the youngest of four. His brother went on to be a university lecturer in the classics. His two sisters went on to work in the NHS as a midwife and also within the hospital. And because he was the youngest, he wasn't able to, to really do that. Um, and he went, his, they had a farm which they rented until his father died and then his mother worked in a dairy. So the background was quite a, quite a poor background in so much as 
They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have access to a lot of success in terms of that. And he uh, went to be an auctioneer at the Mart. But my father, unlike me, was not particularly um, outgoing publicly. He was a very private, hardworking man. And he was very good with people, but he didn't really go and he, wasn't a, he didn't want to be in the middle of the room standing up speaking, which very much an auctioneer is. Uh, so he disappointed his mother and ended up going working with uh, William Cruikshank in terms of, because she had great aspirations, because auctioneers at that time were, were well regarded. And um, I think he felt for a long time that he had this burning ambition to own a business and to be successful. It was never about money for my father. It was never about, you know, driving a Jaguar or, or anything like that. He never, he never monetized things. He was never driven by that. He was driven by taking something that was in a not a great state when he bought it. It hadn't really made much money when he bought it, and he was so determined to turn it round and provide a better life for my mother and for myself. And um, my mother's background is very similar. She lost her father at 15 and was not able to go and take up her teaching degree uh, that she was going to go and do because she stayed to help her mother and to look after the house and she left to get a job as well. So their backgrounds were very similar and their ambitions were very similar and they both had a drive in them to this day. My mother, we lost my father last year, but my mother is still at 76 driven to be performing to the very best and it has the highest expectations of herself first and foremost and then of me and other people. Wow so what was it like for you growing up around that when you've got a father that's very driven to do things and a mother that's very driven to do things did you did you get a chance to learn about business and stuff in that or what was it? I was, if I was totally honest when I was growing up when we first bought the business, I was about 12, 13, and I really didn't understand the opportunity that I had. And I really didn't understand, I kind of looked on the business as the easy option in terms of my father was making a good success, he turned it round, they bought the hotel next door and they extended it and they created the first card, gift, jewellery section, the Wedding stationery was a big thing at that time. My mother was doing personalised wedding stationery. And they were always thinking ahead. So whatever was the big thing that was coming, they were moving into it. And they always tried to do different things. So my mother went away buying 33, 34 years ago to London, to Birmingham, to Harrogate. She never, ever just accepted that what was on her doorstep was what was there. She always wanted to drive it. My father, he was like the workhorse. He was the guy that was up at half past four in the morning that did all the books, that did the, the physical side. And my mother was the driving force in terms of the changing of it, of looking for different things, of the, the elements, bringing elements to the business that made it different. Because to, to succeed in any business, you have got to have some kind of uniqueness. And a uniqueness in retail is even more difficult to achieve because at the end of the day, you are just selling somebody else's products. You're not creating a product, a la Johnston's and Elgin, and you're not providing a teaching service as in a martial arts instructor or, or, a, or a mind, something like that. So it's a different kind of thing. But they recognized early that they needed to be different and they needed to build a reputation for 
excellent um, products and my father built the newspaper side of it and prided himself on the delivery and the times and working with a young delivery team and being really driving the business through that. So that, that yeah. I, and I was, I was lazy, if I'm, if I'm totally honest with myself, in those early years, I didn't take the opportunity where I could really have been getting involved in it more and learning more. And it wasn't until I was into my late teens that I really saw the opportunity that I had. And how did that manifest? Did you start working within the business or did you go off and study somewhere and come back? I was, how did... I was, uh, I was, I was, my mother was very keen that I was not taking the easy option. And as I was being very keen for me not to take the easy option, um, and I kind of I lost myself a wee bit. And I went to university. And again, I took the kind of easier option. I went and did a teaching degree, which I, I, I didn't mean that in any disrespect to teachers. But for me, it was, it was the easier option of the degrees that I could have gone and done. And I, and I found the course, I enjoyed the course. But it was very much centered on one thing, which was becoming a primary teacher. And my mother wanted me to do something that was more kind of specialist. I had great ambitions, if I'm totally honest at this point. My, my real obsession at that time was filmmaking and um, documentary filmmaking. And I was accepted to do film and media studies at Stirling University, along with political science. Mm. But 35 years, 33 years ago, whatever it is, well, not quite that, but my 45, so I've been uh, 18, so whatever it is, 27 years ago. So it, it wasn't as easy to get into that type of thing if you weren't a based in London or you weren't a based in Manchester or Glasgow. Whereas now you can do any of these things sitting right here in Bucky or sitting right here in Elgin, but then you couldn't. And my mother never said no. She never said, no, don't do something. If you want to do it and you believe in it, she would always encourage you to do it. She, she used to always say, if you want to do something, you make up your mind. I can remember going and sitting my driving test and she's saying to me, 17 and a half, you want to drive, don't you? And I said, of course I want to drive. Well, just go and do it. Just go and pass the test. And, and as if that was, as if there was no thought in your mind that failure could come. And that was, that was their why. They, they had obviously both come from a background for the head, had a lot of really traumatic things, losing their kind of core parents early, early in their lives. And yet they both had that steel and that determination to push on and nail it that, be a barrier to them get the far they want. And the, the important thing as well, I'm jumping a, a wee bit here, but my father was 52 before he bought his business, 52 going on 53. And I mean, most people at 52 and 53 are purely thinking about retirement, they're thinking about how they're going to finish off their career, they're thinking about how they're going to slow down and ease up and take their brakes off or put their brakes on. And he was the opposite. He was like, I want to do this. I have always wanted to do this. So that... That kind of mindset probably is, is drifted into me, but it didn't come until I, I went to university, came out of university, started teaching, and I, and, I, and I did a couple of years teaching, and then I went for an assistant heads post when I was in my early 20s, and I missed out on it by one vote. And I can remember asking for the feedback because I was very direct. And I'll be quite honest, I thought I had the job. I'll, I'll, 
I would I would be quite honest about that and a few times I've spoken about it. And I said, why did I not get the job? And they said there was five people on the panel, two of them were parents and the pupils of the school, and they felt that I was too young to be leading the school. And I thought I, I just I just felt that was wrong. I just felt that was wrong. And, it, and the person I lost the job to actually resigned about nine months after the job started because she struggled with the, the post because it was a difficult post. It was a difficult school. It was difficult circumstances. And um, I can remember thinking, right, I'm never going to be passed up for something because of my age. And if I ever get in a position that I'm deciding about people, I'm never going to judge people because if my father's 52 and can start a business and go for there, or I could have been 22, 23 and been an assistant head, age doesn't matter, sex doesn't matter, colour doesn't matter, none of that matters. What matters is how committed, how hardworking, how determined, how loyal, how trustworthy that person is is in front of you that you're going to work, whether it's a friend, whether it's business, whether it's a colleague, that's the skills that you're looking for. Absolutely. So how did it feel transitioning then from being in a teacher in that kind of environment to then being out in the business world in that kind of environment? Because they're, diff they're different worlds, right? It came, it came about quite by, by chance. Um, my father was cutting the grass on a Sunday afternoon and like this, came in, said to my mother, I, uh, I've got a bit of pain in my chest. And he was very fit. He played football, he ran, he walked everywhere, he was on his bike everywhere. He was, a, he was any of these guys, looked good, muscular, he was good physique, they remember. And um, he was then at the doctor on the Monday, because my mother whipped him straight to the doctor. And then the Tuesday, he was an ARI getting a quadruple bypass. Uh, <laughs> so, because it was, the doctor said he was a, a heart attack waiting to happen. Didn't smoke, didn't drink. And it was all work-related because when he worked for Crookshanks, he gave it everything. I mean, he the great story is they went on their honeymoon on the, the Monday after their wedding on the Saturday, and they came back on the Thursday night because he did all the wages for the men at Crookshanks, and he came back on the Thursday night to do the wages on the Friday morning and then went back on his honeymoon after he did the wages. Yeah, and that's a, level of, that's a level of commitment that man yeah. had to somebody else's business. So if you can imagine he was as committed to somebody that he worked for as that, you can imagine how committed he was to his own business. And, and I, I had a decision to make then, was the business going to continue the way it was? Mm. And I, just with the one shop at that time, there was just the news agents, but we'd bought the hotel. So there was a card, gifts and jewellery through for the hotel. And then in the old dining room and staff room and uh, kitchens at the hotel. Mm. And then he, he so he, he we, we weren't sure what was going to happen. So I went into job share, uh, which I actually enjoyed working with somebody like that because I got a person that worked with me who was equally committed and had the same kind of organisational drive as me. So the job share worked very well. But I could see how that could not work if one person was disorganised and one person was organised. But it worked very well. And my boss, I can always recall my boss, I went in to see her and I said, look, this is happening with my father. I need to go and help my mother with the business. And she said to me, you've worked for me for nearly three years. We never had a day off. We never had a problem. 
whenever we haven't asked you for anything, go and see to your business and I'll take care of your job. And I did a job share for a few, six months, a year, and then eventually he, he took a stroke about a week, uh, about a year later, sorry, and then I ended up leaving. So the decision to go fully into the business, while it was something I'd craved for quite a long time, mm-hmm. it was never made as in we are sat down as a family and said, right, you're going to gear up yeah. your career as a teacher and you're going to come and run your business. It was very much a discussion of, do we want to sell this business? Which was because the discussion they were having, or do we want to keep it? And fundamentally, it's part of us. I have a friend who's been an air hostess for 19 years, and she says that the job defines her. She can't imagine doing anything else. And in some ways, I can never imagine not owning posies that other businesses, other bits of the businesses could come and go, but the core nub, that original building, that original shop, has been part of our lives like a family member for the last 33 years. Wow. So, so that was the core of it. But since then, it's developed and you've diversified slightly. Yeah. So can you, can you tell us about that, that element of growth? Uh, so, so very quickly, because this could take a long time, but we, we, went, from <laughs> okay. the, we went from the one shop and then yep. we had a competitor across the road who had cards and gifts as well. And he sadly died, and that business became available. So it, it seems silly, but we were getting to operate two card and gift shops less than 20 meters apart in the same town. But again, we believed that the products, we could make the two shops different enough. So although they've got cards and gifts, they've got different kinds of cards and gifts. One's got a lot of party, one's got a lot of humour, one's got like so we believed we could make it different enough. So we bought the second shop and we 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 ran that and we did that successfully for a number of years. And then my mother had a big ambition to open an Elgin and um, there was a business in trouble. Uh, we went through and spoke to the guy, he'd been in business a long time, he'd done really well, but he'd lost his way latterly and he was getting to go under and we gave him enough money to save him going under, took on his lease and committed to his lease. We ran originally the Bijou shop where Alluring Boutique is now in Elgin. We ran it there for a few years, did quite well. We then leased the building next door, expanded it again into a second card and gift shop and we had it, we had it all in that two buildings but they were leased. And these were the only buildings that we had leased. The other buildings in Bucky we had committed and bought the building. So then we were looking at, at how we grew Elgin and we felt that Elgin would be in a prime place to do a destination outlet. So i.e. something with cards, gifts, jewellery, coffee. So a multifaceted independent outlet in the town centre. And at that time, Batchin Street wasn't what it is now. Batchin Street was quite empty. There were seven or eight empty buildings. It hadn't changed. And the Giles Cafe building I had known for, for years, it used to be Smith's Toy Shop. It was a building I loved. It had fallen into disrepair. The guys that owned it had been leasing it out to four different guys. They'd all gone bankrupt. They'd been unauthorized building work. The building was a mess. But I saw something in that building that I loved. And I had a very, very good uh, banker who also saw my vision of that building. So we, I sold my house, 
I took all the money out of my house that I'd made and I gave it to the bank. So so basically we were we were in Elgin, we had rented the two buildings, it had been successful and we were looking to invest in a building that we could own. Um, and we had been doing that. I had a very good relationship with my bank, been with them a long time. My banker was very supportive to the point that he was actually coming visiting buildings with me, which I, which I thought a lot of them, he didn't need to do that. But he was as invested in it as I was. And he wanted it to be a success as much as I wanted it to be a success. So he wasn't just going to sign off and say, yes, you can have that building or yes, you can have that investment. So we went and I had to sell my house to invest money into the building and to get the project up and running. And that was a huge project because that building was in such a mess. We bought it. And then uh, a couple of years after that, it, it took off like nothing I'd ever seen. It went for zero to 100 miles an hour like a Ferrari. It was, it was incredible. The response, the coffee shop. At that time, there, I mean, there's coffee shops everywhere now. I think in, in the last five years, there's 19 new coffee shops open within a five-mile radius of Elgin. But at that time, the, 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 the huge coffee culture was really just starting to begin. We were doing something a wee bit different up the stairs. They were queuing down the spiral stairs. And it was, it was a fantastic feeling. Retail was good. Everything was, was the internet, whilst there, wasn't as challenging as it is now. It wasn't as price-driven. It was all about different products. It was all about service, which is still the key thing for us, how we look after our customers, how we, how we serve them, and gain them something different. That's the, that's the core drivers. And then we were able to buy the building next door, and we took the Clarence franchise round, and that was run very successfully uh, by Lindsay Shooter, who... Uh, at that time, we're in a relationship together, and um, it was she still runs it for me very successfully. And she drives her business through that building. We own the building; she has her own business there. And we're looking now at changing that into a new collaborative type beauty slash hairdressing, possibly slash. Uh, we have an occupational therapist in there. We have a, we have opportunities because we have rooms and we're, we're trying to do something different with it and we're looking at doing something different with it. Nothing's been decided as yet. We're just looking at various options for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is Elgin, and Elgin's run now. It's been there for 10 years and very lucky to have the majority of the staff we started with 10 years ago are still with us, which is a big thing. Both in our businesses, we've, we've staffed been with us for 30-odd years. Um, and, and we believe in that. Um, and then about uh, seven, eight years ago, I had a, a bit of a kind of blip, uh, whether it was just the sheer volume of work, whether it was the sheer pressure I was putting myself under, and my life changed a wee bit, and I kind of went back through a bad six months, which I did a lot of soul searching and... Um, looked at myself a lot more and went and spoke to somebody at length and, and started to look at therapists and and I'm quite I'm, I'm being a slight bit ashamed of that or anything else I think if anything that period has changed me as a person into a far better person because I was so focused in the business there was it was like blinkers on nothing mattered other than my work and driving that business 
to be where I wanted it to be. That was it. And, and relationships didn't matter to the same extent. Everything was focused on that, and that was the driver. It was the, the, the crux of it. It wasn't even about money, because money's never really been a driver for me. Money's a side product. If you do everything else right, then money will naturally come. It's about the, the building looking right. It's about it being the way I want it to be. It's about the design elements of it being right. It's about the, the finish of it being right. It's about the products in it. It's about all that type of thing. So um, I had this six months period for I really wasn't myself. And I had done a lot of searching about to try and find myself again. And then my mother phoned me and said, I see that uh, the restaurant Aurora down at the water is closed today. It's just closed the doors. And there was issues there. I, I'm not going to go into that. But the guy that owned the building didn't have any issues. It certainly was nothing to do with him. It was a guy that was running at a time. And just things had happened as they do in business and it hadn't worked out. And um, the guy had bowed back. And my mother had always had an ambition to have that building. Now, my mother at that time was in her late 60s, <laughs> 68, 69. And she said, I think that would be a great project for us. Now, whether she really thought that, or whether she, I think she really did think that, but I didn't think she was really looking for another project at that stage of her life. But I think she recognised within me that I needed another project. I needed something that was going to get me going again, was going to start the engine again, was going to start the brain again, was going to start everything again. And, um, and that's how Bijou by the Sea came about. Uh, it came about after probably the most difficult six months of my life. And then it gave me a new focus and I homed in on that. And then lots of other things came off the back of that. And then that's how we've ended up where we are with the, the, the sort of mix of businesses we've got. But that hopefully is near the end of the story because there are ambitions for, for lots of things. Wow. Can you talk about the mix? How do all those things connect together? And you also described a little, you also described previously how the, the business took off. Why do you think it actually took off? You know, what was the reason for it being successful? I think knowing your customer is, is, a, is a key thing. No matter what you're selling, no matter what you're doing, and treating them with the respect that they deserve and, and servicing them I can think back to when it was just the news agents. If somebody didn't get their paper in the morning, my father was out the door like a shot into the car and away delivering their paper. Because he had made a commitment to get their paper to them every day. They were paying for that service. And he believed that that was very, very important. And it still is. We still treat that like that. We still still deliver and, and actually that's the interesting thing in this current situation the delivery of the papers has never been more important we'll, we'll touch on that later i'm sure but so so it's i think when we opened that building it was something different and it had something for everybody there was normal cards there was really expensive different cards there was different gifts there was different jewelry there were different Scandinavian companies, there was things that people hadn't seen before, and you could also go and get a nice coffee, and you could meet friends, and it became a community, a hub, 
people met up there, they did their shopping, they spent a bit of time there. I always speak about the dwell factor. Getting customers to dwell and stay in your building, getting them to enjoy themselves and feel relaxed in your building. You know yourself, if you're relaxed somewhere, if you're relaxed within an environment, you will invariably enjoy that time much more. If you feel an edge or you feel uncomfortable, you will look for an exit route. You will look to get away from that. So when you get them into your shops, whether it's Bijou by the Sea, whether it's Posies, whether it's Bijou in Elgin, you want them to come in, you want them to make feel welcome. So whether that's your staff making sure that they look up and they acknowledge them and they say, good morning, how are you? How's your mum? Is your toe better? Because if you're doing that sort of thing, and it's all these kind of basic things. And it, and it, and it can't be forced. It has to be genuine. So you need people that are representing your business that are genuine and are interested in the public and interested in the customers because it's a service industry. You're there to serve at the end of the day. You're there to look after your customer and to get them what they want, whether it's a card for a bereavement and it's somebody wants something particularly important because it's a friend or whatever, or they're in for their daughter's 21st birthday gift or they're in for their wife's Christmas present, or if they're wanting their paper delivered, you're there to serve that customer and look after them. And, and that's the, the crucial thing in terms of what we're trying to deliver. In terms of the mix of the businesses, the mix just kind of happened. It never really, we didn't go and say, well, let's add something. We, we felt the coffee shops, and that's where the focus has been this last certainly the last five years, and we've just added the coffee shop to Posies three years ago, the food to go, and again, try to do something different, fresh food, using a chef, good local ingredients, a nice 20-seat communal seating area where young people can sit next to old people and have a discussion about their kids and, and have a real community thing. And that took about six months to hit. But again, once it, that hit, people really liked it. In terms of Elgin, I think I think people were looking for that experience in the town centre and they weren't really getting it. They were getting a nice coffee shop or they were getting a nice shop or they were getting that, but they didn't really get the destination, all these things in one building anywhere else. And I still don't really think they do. I think there are some fantastic local shops in Elgin doing different things. I think there are some fantastic coffee shops and cafes and restaurants. But I think we have managed to pull them all into one so they can spend that wee bit longer and they can come in and they can enjoy the buildings. Yeah, how do you how do you manage to do something like that? I mean, what are you looking for? What are you looking to create? And you mentioned genuine employees that really care about the customers that come in. How do you find genuine employees? Do, do they exist? Do you have to train them? How does that all come together? I think, I think, it's, a, I think it's a mix of everything. I think, I think you've got to be very careful about who you employ because they are the public face of the, the buildings. I mean, going back to the paper boys, and this is, people, people forget about the paper boys and, and that element of it. I always say to my paper boys that when they're out delivering the papers, we're the only people that deliver in Bucky. So anybody that's out with a newspaper bag on, people know they are associated with my business. And how they carry themselves and how they represent themselves is an indication of the kind of people that we work with. And I, and I always kind of stress that to them. And I'm very, very proud of these boys, especially at the minute. Great stories just now of 
boys helping people that have fallen in the street. And even though there's this social distancing thing, the natural reaction was to go and help the person because it was an older person. I've had a lady bring in a lot of money and leave it for the paper boys because she heard that they'd been going out picking up prescriptions for older people. They'd been doing shopping for people that were shielded. Now, I didn't tell any of the paper boys to do any of that. These were boys, young men, because it's our men at the minute. We do have girls as well, but at the minute it's our men. Young men taking it upon themselves to see there's problems just now and to see there's ways to help people. And in return, they actually are getting money for it, which is, again, the byproduct of the good behaviour, the good things. And, and that's it's really interesting for me when it comes to staff. It's, you need to be able to get on with them. You need to feel comfortable with them. You need to be able to speak to them. And ultimately, if you don't feel comfortable around them, then that's when I feel there's no that. And you need to care about them in terms of... My mother always said that... that, that and, and she sometimes finds it harder. As the business has grown, when we first started, it was a very small staff, and they were really like an extension of your family. As businesses grow, then obviously your staff grows. And also, not everybody, you can have a very good employee, but they maybe didn't want to be part of that extended family in the same way. For some people, tell you a lot about themselves and their personal life. Some people are more reserved, but they cannot bring the job. And as your job is their, their sort of boss, or I don't really like the word boss, I'm trying to think that we work together. It's collaborative. We all should be working towards the same goal, which is to make the business successful. And you need to look after them and you need to pick up on their good times and their bad times and you need to be with them through the births of their children, through their deaths of their parents, through their divorces. And you should be a constant for them as they should be a constant for you. And, and we're very, very lucky. As I say, in Elgin, the majority of my girls have 10 years or more service, the majority of them, nay a few of them, the majority of them. And there's, there's very few businesses can, with the exception of maybe the likes of Johnston's Elgin, for, have also got that tradition of generational people working, long service, that loyalty to the business. There's not a huge amount of that left, certainly. Mm. As a person in a leadership role what do you think it takes in the modern world to be a good leader for anybody to follow you you have to set the right example so you 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 have to be the hardest worker because you because nobody that works for you should be outworking you so you should be the hardest worker you need to be very honest you need to be very clear in your instructions and sometimes people want to like what you have to say to them and they want to like what you have to tell them but they will hopefully respect it. So in this difficult times that we're in, we have been very, very honest with the staff and we've had a, a weekly update. I've spoken to a lot of them, the ones that want to speak, the some that want to speak more than others. We've supported some in lots of different ways, whether it be a call, whether it be getting something that they need or financially if they found themselves in a wee bit of difficulty at the minute. Whatever you need, you can you can do within reason to support them and hopefully help them. But but to lead people, I think it's 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 a the crucial thing is for them to recognise that you are doing your best, not just for yourself, but for them in the business. If they see you caring about the business and them, 
then they will in turn care about the business and helping you. And that's 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 how he's been. My father was never a great speaker, and he was never in for mucking things, and he never said, "Oh, you work for me." I never. I try and avoid that. And it, sometimes I feel uncomfortable. I get them. Some of them call me boss, which I don't particularly care for, if I'm honest. Same way you use the word entrepreneur, I don't particularly care for that one either. Never been about that for me. It, I think that you, you just want to be seen to be the person that ultimately will make the decisions that need to be made and let people fall behind you and help you and, and structure it with you. Because at the end of the day, the dishwasher is as, as crucial to the kitchen as a chef. The 15-year-old lassie serving the food is as crucial to that as well. Because without all these elements, the food doesn't get out and it doesn't get back in and there's no plates for the next. So you need every element to work. And it's, it doesn't matter in any business, you should never value your manager more than the paper boy. You should treat everybody with the same loyalty, honesty and respect. Absolutely. Uh, moving forward to look at the present, health crisis that we all have to deal with how did that affect your business at the beginning and how have things progressed for you because i think it's pretty stressful for everybody right now absolutely it's it's it's, it's exceptionally stressful um we in the very beginning we were in a uh, start of year we were in uh, february and i wrote this in one of the pieces that i think i sent you but you know, we were in Birmingham doing the buy-in in February and a huge amount of things are made in China. Sadly, we do try and source as much as we can locally in the UK and Scotland in particular, but a lot of things do come from China and it's just a reality. And the focus at that time was all about extended delivery times. China was having a problem. The factories were being shut down and uh, they had hand sanitizer at every show you went into and stand, you could help yourself to them. You'd have made a fortune if you'd been filling a suitcase with them all the time. Anyway, but so so the focus then was never on, on it getting to this. And that was early February. And I was very much in a mindset that we were managing it. We increased the cleaning, we increased the hand washing, we we did everything that we could do to manage it. We we changed things, we changed the working processes. We did everything. And then it, as it became more and more evident that things were going to change the way they did, the last three weeks leading into the lockdown were, were very, very challenging because the numbers were dropping off and staff could see the numbers were dropping off. And, and, and everybody's you know, silly. They know that there's certain amounts of money need to come in to keep everything going. We have big staff and a lot of buildings and big bills and all these kind of things. And we had a lot of staff saying, look, we are willing to go home early. We're willing to cut our hours back just now if it helps you. But we committed up till the lockdown to pay everybody their contract to do us, to do everything to that point. And we did that. And then when the lockdown came for the staff safety, we put everybody home. But the core element, the core element of the business, which was delivering newspapers, which was the most important element 33 years ago for my father to in. But over the last 33 years, newspaper sales have dropped. People didn't buy so much news. They get their news in a different way. The price has gone up. They didn't buy so many magazines. There's great podcasts like this and others to listen to, to, to inform yourself and to learn about different things. 
So that the newspapers had slowly, slowly drifted away, drifted away, drifted away. And we were still delivering a lot, still delivering about 800 papers a day. But that was maybe two-thirds, half what we were doing in the beginning. And now what's happened is the newspapers have spiked back up. It was the only part of the business that we could continue to, 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 to run completely without any issue because it was classed as essential. I sat on that Monday night of lockdown waiting for the Federation of Newsagents main guy to send me the confirmation that newsagents were essential and on that list. And the minute that that happened, I had to change my practices of 30 odd years, which was going at 5.30 in the morning, sort all the newspapers for the boys coming in. The boys would start coming in between 6.30 and 7.30, pick up their papers, sort them, go and deliver them, end of story. We could not do that as of that point. Mm. And we had to decide to put an entire new process in place so that we wouldn't have 22 boys come into one building at the same time. We wouldn't have staff exposed in that way. And basically we redid their entire process between 10.30 that night and 5.30 that next morning and um, spoke to every boy's mother. She, they were happy to support us to carry on. And we now write out every paper myself in the morning and we deliver it to the boys. They go straight out and deliver it, go straight home. We pay them electronically and they have no contact with the shop. They have no contact with me. Particularly, we drop the bag at the door, step away, tell them any changes, and it did it. Worked a two-bag system, which, which just changed everything. And, it, and because the schools were closed, it made it easy because the boys were not having to go to school. If the boys had had to go to school, we would have had a, a, a wee bit of a problem. Yeah. And we have had little things, like guys that are uh, mums are... Uh, key workers and things that have got to go to school we have to drop theirs earlier than other boys and things like that so the process but no so it, it's it's very interesting for me how we've gone for the most important part of our business at the beginning which was becoming one of the was still very very important because it was a, a constant has now suddenly the whole light has been shone on it again and the amount of comments we've had we deliver my mother's paper, we deliver my father's paper, I'll stop them going out every day. It's great, what a service, it's a lifeline. People love it, it's good to be able to read it. And it was interesting, um, Richard Lockhead put a very interesting post on his social media uh, last week praising the local papers and people came on it and slated it. Oh, rubbish, didn't I read that? It's rubbish, it's this, it's... It's biased to this party, it's biased to that party. They missed the entire point of that post. They missed the entire point of it he was acknowledging. And that is that people, not everybody is technologically able and not everybody wants to get their news delivered to them in that way. There's still a huge amount of people that like the written word, that enjoy the written word, and newspapers are near about the, the headline story because the headline story has been reported every minute for the last eight hours since the press closed. It's about the comment. It's about the, 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 the nuance. It's about the take that the person that's writing that story puts on it. And the whole point of newspapers on life is that everybody's entitled to opinion. And I watched, I watched the comments on his social media feed and it was just negativity, 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 negativity. 
and nobody was allowing him or the papers to express their viewpoint. You didn't have to agree with it. You didn't have to agree with my viewpoint or your viewpoint or anybody's viewpoint. You can have your own viewpoint. And as long as you didn't forcibly force that onto another person, that's absolutely fine. But as adults, we should be able to have an adult discussion about what you think's right and what I think's right. And we should be able, not necessarily even to agree, but to be able to have the discussion because that's what life's about at the end of the day. And newspapers are part of that discussion. They should be part of good, informed, educated discussion. And people say, oh, they're just write rubbish. Well, no, actually, the dinner, each of these papers will be tailored towards a viewpoint. They will be tailored towards an educational understanding because not everybody can read the telegraph and understand the detail of that but they can get the same basic premise for the star or the express in just the same way. And, and I, I found that a very disheartening thing because what he was trying to show was something positive and everybody jumped on it and said, oh, I wouldn't have read anything but X, Y, Z. And I thought, no, you've missed the whole point of that. News is about giving people the chance to make their own opinions on the stories and have their own viewpoints on the stories. Well, absolutely. And communication is vital for i think the survival of everybody especially when we're in a crisis and i don't think that although we have a great proliferation of social media that you can have any real conversation through social media it just seems to be a place for people to vent their frustrations at each other rather than yeah, help each I other i agree i think i think social media is great in, in a lot of ways and I, and I think it really does it gives people and, and it's done some incredible things whether it be colonel tom whether it be showing joy whether it be being able to express emotions being able to see things and and, and i think it really does but i think you need to have a, a balanced view to everything so conversation with your family with your friends with people with different opinions reading a newspaper, reading an article, reading a journalist that you enjoy listening to or reading or listening to a podcast or whatever it is, you should take all that information in and then you should process it out to find what you personally take from that. And and what you take for it, what I take for it, will be different. And that's okay. That, that, is, that is what life is. And if we live in a, in a civilised society Everybody is entitled to hold their opinions as long as you're not hurting or being racist or, 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 or causing somebody to feel, you know, that's what I didn't like about social media, is when people come away from it feeling vulnerable or upset or feeling they've been attacked. I think that's what's wrong about it, but I think otherwise it is going to be a lot of good things. Oh, absolutely. So with this growth of technology that we've seen over the last 10, 15, 20 years, how has that affected the way the business has operated? I would say it's affected it hugely in terms of, of, all, of all elements because the website side of things, the retail side of things, we, we've never had a retail site. We have a site that was a kind of information site where you could find it about the business a wee bit. But the, the cost that it, I had looked at doing sites off and on for 10 years. And I'd spoken to lots of guys that had done them in our industry and not been a success. The guys that were a success were guys that were uh, doing it on a price basis. So they were selling something at a really competitive price. They were buying 
discounted products or sell them discount, things like that. And that didn't appeal to me. And I wanted my retail site to be a reflection of my business because of the way it looks, the branding, the color schemes, everything. And we're now, I'm pleased to report, almost at that point, working with my brand partners, um, CP and Co in Inveruri, we're using Shopify, we're being able to bring a site to launch this year, hopefully in June, where we'll be able to sell our products and our ethos, both in the cards, the gifts, the vouchers, that type of thing, online. So hopefully, and I don't think I'm suddenly going to open this website and it's going to be Amazon, because that's just totally unrealistic. What I'm hoping to do is be able to serve and look after my tribe or customers, whatever you like, locally, that can't get to us just now. Because I'm at a message saying, oh, I would love to get a card and we've sorted it for them, or I would love a gift, or can you get me, can I get this, can I? And if we'd had the website, we'd have been able to service that. So we're looking at the website very much as being something that we can use locally to allow people to shop as and when it suits them, or as and when they feel safe. So whether it's, it's delivered to them, or whether it's click and collect, and we are putting our most popular products along with some of our quirkier stuff. And I'm also looking at it as being an opportunity for me to sell things through the website, possibly, that I wouldn't necessarily sell in the shop. So, for example, there are some fantastic new young card designers that I personally really like, but doesn't really appeal to my demographic and my customer that comes into the shop. So I'm hoping to feature a new designer every month with a new range of cards, same with the gifting, and we want to use... I don't really like the word omni-channel because it sounds a bit pretentious, but that, that is what it is in terms of person. So we hope to have the shop sites, as in the physical sites. We hope to have the website. We hope to have the two of them working together. But we also, like all the shops are different, so if you go to Posies, it's different to Bijou. If you go to Bijou, it's different to the small Posies. Then the website will also have unique things on it. The website will have the most important lines on it that are in both shops or all three shops. And it'll be a kind of window into the business and also gives an opportunity to increase the conversation that we have with customers through social media. We hopefully will be able to do that through social media and the website. And we've got some exciting new products that have never been in store that will be purely on the web. So, but, it, but it's affected us in so much as we've lost sales to it, there's no question. People use the shops to showroom to look and then they'll search for the product cheaper, possibly online, because the online guys didn't have the cost structures that we have in terms of business rates, in terms of staffing costs, in terms of the look of the shop, in terms of the overheads that we have. If you're situated in the middle of a field and you've just got warehousing and all you're doing is a website and pump the stuff out of a warehouse, your cost base is much, much less than if you're on a high street retail environment. And there's, there's been loads of information about that. I don't need to go into that, but that's just a reality. So we are trying to use the technology. We've tried to use the social media to keep up the conversations with our customers. I've been doing that myself because, again, I've no staff at the minute. I found it a bit difficult. I feel a bit guilty because I'm not doing it as often as I feel I should. I feel I should be more on top of that. But my working day is so busy from starting with the boys at 5.30, getting them ready for them, finishing that at 9, 
open a shop 10 to 1, deal with anything for a shop between kind of 1 and 4, park and get somebody eating and then go straight into the office to try and sort bank loans and uh, sort all the kind of the things to support the business in this difficult time. The time you look around, it's midnight, and then you're back up again at 5.30, and that's seven days a week. I haven't, I haven't had a day off, really. I haven't, I haven't had a day off since this started, and I hadn't probably had many days off this year. Missed my honeymoon, missed all kinds of things in, in the last few weeks, but it's, it's been very, very challenging. Wow. Where does your energy come from to do all of this? Because for the average person, I don't think the average person could survive. Um, I I was once on a flight, and this is a story I tell. I've told it a number of times. Back in the day, EasyJet used to let you sit anywhere. I don't know if you remember that or you don't remember that. But when it's like, it was like a bus, right? You, you kind of like just, you just go on, you sat wherever you like. Right? You had your ticket, you go on, you sat. And I used to do a lot of work in London, and I still do for a magazine that I write for. I'd been in London, it was a Thursday, dinner on a Thursday, flying back on a Friday. The Friday back, flight back in Inverness for Gatwick, with EasyJet, was I was a really interesting flight. Because there was, was lots of diversity of people on it. And there was lots of people that had holiday homes in the Highlands, worked in London all week and flew up to Inverness to enjoy Inverness and the, and the lifestyle up in Inverness at the weekend. And I got sitting next to this very attractive lady who I kind of made a beeline for. I was single at the time. I sat down next to this lady and I was speaking to her. And she was fascinating. Very quickly became clear that she was a psychologist. And she lived with her husband in the Highlands. And we got into a really interesting chat. And she was asking what I did. And I told her, and I told her what my day was typically like. And she was going back and forth. And she said, do you think you work? And I said, no, I don't think I work. And she says, but most people would think that what you're doing is extreme. That to work for that early, to that late, every day, very little holidays, very little downtime, that, that that would be extreme. And your problem is you kind of differentiate between your working life and your life. It's just your life. But to me, that's completely normal. And I and I and I kind of never really thought about it until she came about. It. And then as time's gone on, I've done things to try and break that up. So I box three times a week. We are personal trainer guy, it's a pal of mine, and I'm missing that just now terribly because that's three hours a week that I know that I have got to be there for a start time. I'm there for my hour, and he pushes me in that hour, and for that hour, I can't be thinking about business. I can't because if I do, I'll end up getting my head knocked off or whatever. So, so and, he, and he keeps me going, and he drives me on, and there's a, another couple of guys I'll train in with us, and we have a really good time. It's the same we... Um, the cinema, I love the cinema. So I make a point when I can, I go into the cinema once a week because I've got the drive to the cinema, whether it be Elgin or Inverness, I've then got the time in the cinema and the drive back and it forces me to work for that period of time. And, and, I, and I also go and speak, to, as I said to you, I'm a big believer in talking therapies and I go and speak to a, a, a therapist, I'm in a fortunate position I can do this and I go and speak to a therapist once a month at least, sometimes once a fortnight. And again, that's time I allocate for myself. And I discuss how I unpack my head 
and then I repark my head. So I kind of let everything out in that hour, and then I speak about all the things, the challenges, the things that's concerning me, and then I reorder it within my brain, ready for the next two weeks or four week period. And I'm a huge believer in that, and I, and I stress that if you're in a position, whether it be business or your life in general, it's something that I used to poo-poo. It was something I didn't really believe in. I believed you made up your mind, you go on with it. But I had something happen to me, and I found it now that I do that. So I almost have to structure my leisure time as much as I structure my working life to get any time that I kind of switch off, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. So when you're working on things full time, what are the parts that you enjoy within the work that you do? Because I think in everything that everybody does, there's things that they like more and things that they like mm. less. So, so what are the parts you enjoy? Um, well, I, I think this last seven weeks, I've actually been working on a counter, right? Now, I haven't done that probably full time for at least five years because my life has become very much strategic. It's about moving money. It's about making sure everything's paid. It's about making sure the staff's okay. It's about dealing with problems. It's about um, the running of the business. It's doing the consultancy work. It's doing the column. It's doing whatever I'm doing. And the actual interaction with customers would probably be as I walk through the shop or as I come back out of the shop or if I was in the shop and have a bit of time with them, with the exception of December, where I always forced myself to go into the shops for extended periods of time. One, to support the girls, and two, to be there to hear what customers are saying. And this last seven weeks, solo man in the shop, although it's not busy like it normally is, I've got different folk coming in, I've had different generations coming in, we've put whole new processes in place for customers to pay their newspaper bills, and I've spoken to so many people, um, and it's been really refreshing. And I've really enjoyed that again. And I've all, I've almost forgotten the connection that there is. And I think the customers like to see me in the shop, and I actually like to see the customers in the shop because fundamentally, I'm a people person. I like people. I like speaking to people. I like engaging with people. I like I like the feedback for writing a column or doing a speech or putting something new into the shop. I like that instant feedback. A bit like an actor gets the instant feedback for a live audience. They didn't get that for a TV program. They record it, and they didn't get the feedback till like eight or six months, a year, two years, they like. They always, actors I was speaking about the stage and getting that instant gratification for an audience. And in some respects, I've lost sight of that just through the busyness of everything and the building the business and driving it forward and trying to keep all the balls in the air. So one thing I'm definitely going to learn out of this is, and definitely going to try and continue, is that conversation. And it's it's interesting, speaking to the older customers on the phone, they're paying their papers, you're able to say to them, how are you? Are you okay? I've heard all kinds of stories for one lady was very upset because her son doesn't speak to her anymore and she's isolated and she misses coming into her shop because the girls I speak to her and she sat down and had a coffee. Now that she really likes coffee, but she would sit down and have coffee because the girls would come and speak to her. And, and, you, and you forget, you forget that. And, and many, many years ago, an old banker said to my father, I, I used to go to the meetings with my dad when I was 15, 14, 15. I used to go to the bank meetings. 
And this Alabanca said to my dad, I can recall it clearly, Jimmy, it was, you see, Posies is the magnet store of Bucky. And I can mind that phrase, and it stuck with me, and I've used this again. And I can remember asking my dad, what did he mean by that? And my dad said he meant that it attracted everybody. All ages, all people, rich people, poor people, folk that like nice things, folk that just wanted something simple, folk that wanted cigarettes, wanted a lottery, wanted the papers. It had something for everybody, and it attracted. It was a magnet store. It attracted everybody, and it was about the why they did it. And, it, and that's, in some respects, fit a mess as well because we kind of attract everybody at the minute because we, we're not open, we're not fully open. We kind of look after our customers the same way, but we're trying our best with the newspapers and we're being not open that wee while. And if people phone up and want a card delivered, we've been doing that. Or if people want us to write a card and send it for them, we've been doing that. Or if they need something, at the start of this, we were delivering toilet rolls to customers and things because we had the stock of the toilet rolls for the restaurants that was sitting there doing nothing. And there was older customers didn't have it. So we made a point of getting these things into the community. We donated all the food for the restaurants to the food banks in Bucky and there's parcels made up and things because I would far rather that happen than it went to waste or we froze it down and it wasn't the same standard when we took it out when we're able to open again, better to give it out to these people. That will come back to you tenfold in a long run. Mm. There's some amazing things that you've done there. And a lot of these things obviously, you know, happening in the background. People don't see everything that's going on. They don't know everything that's going on. What about the harder parts for you? What about the struggles uh, that you've had to go through recently? What's been what's been the hardest? Funding. I mean, funding's obviously difficult for everybody. The, the, the COVID-19 loans have been challenging. And I've got a very good relationship with my banker. I've got a very good relationship with my accountant. I mean, we are 33 years. I consider him a friend as much as, as in my accountant. Um, but like everybody accessing these things, there's lots of I always make a joke, you feel a bit like Toto, the performing dog, here's a hoop, jump through it, oh, here's another hoop, jump through it, oh, here's another hoop, slightly smaller, slightly higher, jump through that hoop. And, 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 it, and that's, it's been, that's what's interesting with these small bounce back loans are really good for businesses that haven't got the ability to pull together the cash flows, then I have, and I haven't got a financial director, I am the financial director as long as I'm managing director, and, and we just have to do it ourselves. But... I feel sorry for, for businesses that haven't got these relationships if they've got a phone line to phone up and things because it must be terribly worrying because like that old customer's phoning up and asking me about their papers, the reassurance of having a conversation with somebody that you think is actually interested and cares about your business is crucial. No, I've got that. I'm very lucky I've got that. And I also work hard to maintain that because... I work hard to build those relationships with my bank manager, with my accountant, we are their businessmen. I work hard to work with different guys and I'm, I'm honest and I'm open and I help them and they help me. But there's lots of guys that are islands that didn't have that ability. And I mean, one of the easiest things I've done in the last six weeks was there was a guy came in for a greeting card and he said to me, how are you getting on? And I said, well, it's challenging. We're Vastly doing, we've got four buildings shut with one building open. I'm trying to do everything myself. I'm trying to secure money. He said, oh, I started a new business in February. I fall through all the cracks. 
because I have no books as yet. I've very little trading as yet. I'd started off okay. I'm a limited company. I haven't paid myself anything. He says, I didn't really feel I'm hardship because he says I had a successful career before this. And he says, I really didn't know what or where I go. I said, well, look, give me a card if you've got a card. And I says, let me phone and send a couple of emails. So I sent an email to the head of the Chamber of Commerce and I also sent another email off to somebody else to do with kind of business in Murray. Anyway, within two hours of my email being sent to Sarah Medcraft at the Chamber of Commerce, she'd reached out to the guy. Then she'd sent him the information on the different funds. And I got an email from him that night because I'd copied myself in on these emails just to let him see that I'd done it more than anything. And he, he sent me an email that night and he said, it was so refreshing that somebody didn't just say these things but actually followed them through. Because I just think if I was that guy, if I was that island and I had named you to Tamte and I'd named you to kind of know where I was want, you want somebody to reach down and, and, and pick you up. You want somebody to say, look, try this or speak to them or do that. And it, it has been very challenging, but I feel that I like, I actually like the challenge of it. If anything, I've, I've driven myself harder, I've worked longer, I've spoken to mere guys about it. I've two guys that are pals of mine that are hugely successful, selling companies for £10 million, turning who are £45 million. I've spoken to both of them, and I, and I view myself as Naven in their same league, but I like to bounce things off them, they bounce things off me. But a lot of guys didn't have that ability or didn't feel comfortable or feel nobody will be interested in them because their business is nay. And, and everybody's experience is related. The numbers are just immaterial in it because I'm a tiny business compared to these guys, yet they're interested in what I've got to say. And that guy's just started out, so he would be tiny compared to me. But it doesn't matter because the feelings are the same. That feeling of what do I do? Where do I go? You've got to set yourself a clear plan. I set myself a strategy to get through this eight weeks ago when it all kicked off. My strategy hasn't changed. And I have kept a very open dialogue with everybody that I'm due money to, I'm a supplier, with everybody that I've worked with, my staff. I've made them all aware of my strategy, what I'm trying to do, and I'm still working towards it. I haven't secured it yet. It hasn't, it hasn't there yet, but I hope to secure it in the next week or two. Is there a sense that I'm getting that maybe the crisis has actually brought people together and forced Absolutely. them to communicate Absolutely. about important things? I think so. I think, I think this, this is a terrible thing that we're going through. This, I mean, I look at my mother. She's in that house on her own. I haven't been over the door of her house in eight weeks. I go and speak to her two metres away, twice a day. She lost my father last year. She's a very, very strong woman. And I see her suffering terribly with isolation and the loneliness. And she has got people phoning her. She's got people reaching out to her. But just that solitude in a house all day on your own with your thoughts is very, very difficult. But I also see, the, so I can see how that's terrible for lots of people. But I also see the best in people coming out. I see people pulling together, people checking on their neighbours, people reaching out with the kindness groups people doing things. Next week, we're going to do a little thing, which 
I can tell you because Bokas are coming after it, but we're getting to send out 24 greeting cards to 24 key people in the community, thanking them for being a key worker. It's nothing. There's no monetary value in it. It's the fact that, that we would do that, just thanking them for their service. And then one last week, we sent a card to the staff of Marks and Spencers because the I was looking after my mum very well. And when I go through to check the shop once a week, they're always very good. They always ask how she is, how am I, how's the business? And we sent them a wee card just saying how well they've done to keep the store open, to be cleaning everything down, to be so respectful of people. Seven of their staff came up and spoke to me when I was there on Friday and said, thank you for the card. Cost nothing, cost nothing. Acknowledging people and what they have done. And that's what's going to be the great thing about this, is that we need to continue that. We can't just suddenly say COVID-19's, past we didn't need we need to stop we should have been doing other hand washing practices and that anyway my staff certainly were and i think people in general should have been but the, the way people have cared about the community have respected and had a newfound value for 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 people is 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 really important there's a guy um it's a book called rebel ideas it's a guy called matthew syed I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's written some really interesting stuff about cognitive thinking and diverse thinking. He, his mother, was classed as low-skilled. He speaks about his mother a lot. She was low-skilled. I'm not exactly sure if she did, but that was the classification, that was a cleaner for that was a forever. And he said he never thought of his mother as low-skilled because she brought him up single-handedly. She kept a job while clothing and feeding and keeping a family. She put him through university. She ran the netball team. And he says he took huge offence at the term low-skilled. And I do as well. There is nobody better than anybody else in this world. There are just people that do different positions in different roles. And everybody's got their position and their role. And everybody needs that role for the other role to work. Nay everybody can be the star striker. Nay everybody can be the Gordon Ramsay. You've got to, you need every part of everything for the society to work. And that's what's the great thing about that. We've suddenly realised that our bin men are every bit as important as the likes of the guys that are running the hospitals. We've realised that the cleaners, and God forbid if suddenly we forget that in six months, because I think that will be the biggest because this has shone a light on it, and we have got to understand and realise that there is no such thing as low-skilled or that your job is worth more than mine. Everybody's com committing and contributing to this society, and we should acknowledge that in all ways. Absolutely. It's great to see and hear the businesses supporting the community in such an integral way going out of their way to actually put in extra effort to ensure that people are are okay through the crisis is there something that the average person can do to support the businesses within the community at the present time you see a lot of these things in social media you know your your, your local businesses they need to have charity and your raffle and your local businesses, and I mean, that's true. I mean, we, we, we donate a huge amount of vouchers and gifts and all kinds of things for everything known to one. And, and that's all I would say to people is, please look locally first. You know, that's what I try and do. I always try and buy locally. I try and support my local butcher, my local 
I kind of try and support them anyway, Baker, all these different things. But in terms of the shops as well, try and look locally first. Can you buy it locally first? If you can, support them. If you can't, or you can't afford to buy locally and you do need to go for a discount online or whatever, but most retailers will be able to work with you, especially on bigger ticket items for the, the discounts can be greater. And, and I think it's just a case of people realising that, that businesses are nearly there just to make money. They're part of the high street, they're part of your community, they're part of the, the shop life, they're part of the vibrancy. And, and it, town centres are near about shops. Town centres are meeting places. They are your church, they are your coffee shop, they are your barbers, they are your retail spaces, they are your kids playing in the street. They are your folk hanging about. and you can, I could never understand this need for I was moving people on. There was a time in the 80s and 90s, let's move on these group of children. Why are you moving them on? What are they doing? If they're not doing any problem and they're not causing any problem, why are we moving them on? You need everybody inside a town centre to make it that. You need people living there. You need people eating there. You need people shopping there. You need people interacting. And, and, and it's a natural thing. Oh, we'll meet you up the town. But when do you hear that now? You didn't really hear that. Why, why not? But we, should, we shouldn't have been moving. You know, that, that whole idea that there seemed to be a well, we don't want kids sitting on the steps. Why do you want them sitting on the steps? If they're not doing any harm and they're meeting their friends and they're enjoying themselves and they're hearing conversation or they're speaking about music or they're speaking about something they bought or they're speaking about their TikTok or they're filming a TikTok, it doesn't matter if they're not doing any harm because that brings life. You need conversation and thought and discussion and challenging people's points of views and getting people in it. That's a town center. Major shops. And, and the sooner we get rid of this idea that the town centres are about, oh, we need a Waterstones and we need a, we need all kinds of shops. We need we need everything in there and different types of meeting places, eating places, and 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 that that's what you need to be a town centre. Oh, absolutely. And I think there's a certain kind of strength through diversity, having different types of people with different backgrounds and different age ranges and different businesses all together in one space yeah. sharing. An experience there. What is your vision now for going forward in terms of your personal work and your businesses? Um, what's the next step? Um, well, we, we have ambitions um, in Elgin. We have uh, we have got to revamp the coffee shop. Um, that was I was on the agenda. Uh, it was supposed to be done for uh, the reopening on the 10th of June, but we're going to reopen it on the 10th of June by the 10th anniversary, and we're going to launch website and a new Loop coffee shop. Um, we're still going to do that. When we do it, it'll be as quickly as possible, whether we do it before we're allowed to reopen, if we can. At the minute, the tradesmen kind of work. At the minute, we kind of get the materials to do what we want to do, but, but that, that is an option, certainly, that, that we can do. So, Elgiza, we've got the new collaborative working space that we want to bring, which I think is really important for, for that part of the building, and we're going to change that and make that different, and then go back to focusing on the shop and the website working together. So that, that's in Elgin. Posies, as in the newsagent, the light's been shown back in the newspapers, as I've said a number of times, but we had introduced the food side to that three years ago. We totally reimagined that building, and really we just want to get back to doing that and being back to being that hub, that meeting place, that 
sort of place where everything is there, and the same with the small shop, the two of them, between the two shops, we can cover most things, and that's what we'll, we'll want to do. Um, and then the big ambition that has been for a number of years now is to develop the restaurant at the beach and to put on a retail space, which will be kind of different to landscape the gardens, to improve the car parking, because we're in the process of buying that car park to improve it, um, and to create a nicer environment doing the uh, change that space. And that's probably the biggest project, which I was working towards securing the funding to do that and have been for about nine months a year. And um, it, it's going to be difficult to do it the way I want to do it just now because obviously hospitality and restaurants <laughs> are the most challenging sectors for social distancing and making it work. But in some ways, I think putting the retail space onto the restaurant would actually allow it to be able to function again quicker and to, the, to be able to generate enough income to carry all the, the work and the staff and things that are there. And as I've said, we, we're fortunate we, we own these freeholds so we can do different things to them. And, and the key thing is, if you're sitting here just now thinking, this is terrible, how do I come back for it? We're never going to come back for it. This is the end of my business. I'm never going to do it. You'd be as well just saying, shutting your door now. Because if that's your mindset, that's just naving. That's just naving. You need to be planning, both for the physical things you're going to have to do. So, how do we socially distance within the shop? How can we still create the same experience? How can we serve a piece of jewellery with a customer, keeping two meters apart, allowing them to try it on, allowing them to see it, try it on, enjoy it? How can we do that? and still adhere to other rules? And these are not easy questions. How can we, we, we chose in all our coffee shops and restaurants to the table service. And the reason we did that was because we liked our interaction with the staff and the member of the public. We wanted people to be served and looked after. How do we do that? You kind of throw them the cup of coffee two meters away and hope <laughs> it lands on their table and it doesn't spill. So, so is, it, is it perspex that you're going to have to use? Is it, is it, are you going to have to go to a self-service system where you have a bleeper and the person gets a bleep at their table to tell them their food's ready and they go and pick their food up for a table that you have set up. So you bring the food to that table and the customer has to go up and go and pick up that table. Is that the experience I want to give a customer? Absolutely not. Is that a reality or something that we're going to have to do to be able to reopen and survive? It is possibly. And that's something that you're just going to have to explore. But you you cannot just sit here thinking about, yes, you've got to think about now. Yes, you've got to think about six months. But your responsibility to your business and to your staff and to your customers is you've got to be thinking about the next six months, the next six years, and how you're going to pass that building on and that business on to the next generation that comes along behind it. Because it's 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 it's... I feel Posies is, part, is, is, is so intrinsic in the town in terms of it's such an integral part. It's been there for long before I was there, long before I was born, my father was born, my mother was born, and hopefully it'll be long there long after I'm not here because it's, it's part of the fabric of the town. You would never want to see that not be there. It's like a football club. It's like everything else. You, it's, it's, it's part of it makes that community the community. Absolutely. 
And I think part of the whole situation is the fact the problem is the opportunity. If you're going to be forced to change, you might as well try to change for the better. Yeah, absolutely. And move forward in that way. You've got, find, you've got to find solutions. I mean, business is about finding solutions. Okay? Life's about finding solutions, challenges. Every day something will happen and you have to find a way around it, way, way over it, way under it. But what you can't do is just stop it. Mm. So whatever that challenge is, if you, if, you just, if you just meet that wall and you say, right, okay, wall, you've won, then you're not going to get anywhere. You're going to sit in that same place. You're not going to go anywhere. So you've got to find... Do you dig under it? Do you go around it? Do you go up and you go over it? Do you go back? Do you run through it? If you go to power, if you get the power, just to power right through it. You've got to find that solution to that wall. And, 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 and it's, it's that mindset being, it's, it's easy for me because my mind works like that. And I understand that people, other people find that very difficult. They hit that first wall and they just stop. And they think, okay. What did I do? And I didn't know. And I didn't know how to even attempt to get round it or under it or over it, above it. But with things like this, you've got to try. And if you didn't do it the first time, then you maybe do it the second time. If you didn't do it the third time, you might do it the fourth time. And so on and so on and so on. Oh, absolutely. Persistence overcomes resistance, I think is the <laughs> phrase that we look at there. If we can maybe project into the future just a little bit more. What kind of legacy do you think that your work will leave behind and that your business will leave behind? Or what would you like to leave behind for other people? I think that was the most difficult question. Because <laughs> um, legacy, I'm going Sadly, I'm rebuilding something. So, you can, if you were Dyson, you've created the technology, or you were, you know, as I said to you right at the beginning of this, I didn't, I didn't overemphasize what we do. I'm really a middleman, mm-hmm. right? That's really what I am. I'm a middleman, um, and I, and I, I buy something for somebody else, and I sell it on to somebody else, and we provide a service, whether it be coffee, whether it be paper delivery, whether it be forever. I would like our legacy to be that we always put our customers first in so much as people always looked in our businesses as being there to bring someone different and to serve the town. I think that is the ultimately, whether it's Elgin, whether it's Bucky, we, we want people to enjoy the buildings and enjoy what we do. And if people look back, when an interesting social media post, I don't know if you saw it, but 26 years ago the lottery started and my mother and father decided to print lottery holders, right? And they weren't anything fancy. It's a red plastic sleeve that had the old logo on it, had the opening hours on it. It said, uh, Linda and Jim, uh, thank you for your custom, as always, be lucky with the lottery. Right? Something like that. It was words to that thing. And we printed... About a thousand of them, right? And I can remember them doing it, and I can remember thinking it was quite a lot of money at the time. And my mum and dad said, Look, that'll, that'll be good because people will remember you've given them something and they'll keep their lottery in it, and it reminds them of their opening hours, and it's a nice thing to do, and it's a fun thing to do. Well, a woman walked in last week and handed me one that was pristine, 
He could read every bit of text on it. It had hit it for 26 years with a Lockley. And that struck me, and I put it in social media, and it's had like 140, 150 likes. And there's loads of customers on. I've still got mine. I've still got mine. I love mine. So it's sometimes your, your legacy can be this great big thing. People speak about your legacy has been this huge thing. Your legacy can actually be a very small thing. It could be something as simple as you always treated people correctly or you did your best to deliver that paper every day to them one time or you, 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 you always made a point of speaking to them and being genuinely interested in them. And actually, sometimes the small things can be a better legacy than the big things. So will folks say in 100 years' time, Bijou was a fantastic business? I doubt it. It's negative to that kind of public recognition. But somebody probably would say, oh, do you mind? Folks still tell me stories about posies and say, oh, I can remember in 1950 on a Saturday night we would be doing with my dad and Jimmy Posey would post the results of the Bucky Thistle game because there was no phones and there was no telephones really and he had a phone and they would phone through the score and they would say Bucky beat Wick 2-1 and he would put a poster up in the window to tell folk the score and folks still tell you that story. So maybe 50 years time a paper loon will be telling his son off and I did papers uh, imposes the guy that looked after me there wrote my reference from it and go on and get my job and he taught me that getting up every day and being organised and being at my work at half past six and making sure I delivered the papers right and I shut the gate behind me was our good disciplines and good learning for life and maybe that will be the legacy of it all. Wow best answer yet best answer I've had to that question so far it's excellent. Thank you. I would like to thank you very much for the time that you've devoted to this conversation today. Thank you very much for your energy, enthusiasm, and your contribution to the local community. I think uh, what your organization has been doing recently, uh, from what I've heard, is absolutely fantastic. If people want to reach out to you and connect with you, how can they do that? LinkedIn, obviously, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, my email is pretty much freely available. It's quite simple. It's jppozzi at btconnect.com. So just jppozzi, as in the shop, at btconnect.com. I always respond to emails so people maybe take my wee bit of time or through social media, through any of the work pages, jppozzi, bijou, bijou by the sea, um, if anybody wants to send me a message, more than happy to have the discussion. Um, and I'm always open to discussions about consultation work. I do a lot of work with the kids at the school doing uh, enterprise schemes. I do a lot of uh, motivational talks are through the country. It's something I thoroughly enjoy and I've always enjoyed and I've done it for a long time. And if anybody wants me to come along and speak or What's the book me to speak? I'm always interested in having that discussion if it's an organisation that I would like to work with or I feel I can bring something to it. 
Super. So people out there listening, I think it's worth it to connect with David. And who knows what exactly the future will be. What I do know is that you have to reach out and connect with people for anything at all to happen. Once again, thank you very much for your time today. And I wish you great success in the future. Thank you. Appreciate it. Maiden Buddy is a product of the Academy of Language Therapy and Life Coaching. Book a free online personal or professional development consultation today. What are you waiting for?